welcome to what was media this week we're going to talk about everything going on in the media like we always do i don't know where that was going but annabelle would you please start us off sure so i've got a couple of business stories for us today mine are a little bit more tech heavy so we're going to talk about some tech companies i've got uber and what they've been dealing with in the uk with their labor worker employee definitions there's some fun stuff going on there that's going to cost them a lot of money and we're going to get into the big bad boy himself mark zuckerberg and what he's <gasps> doing over at facebook right now they got some cool stuff in the works so that's what i'm <gasps> talking about awesome I am very award show heavy this week. I am going over a recap of the Grammys as well as the just announced Academy Award nominations. Excellent. All right. Well, if you're ready, let's dive right in here. Woo! Okay, so Uber's got some uber big problems over in the UK right now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, see what I did there? So <laughs> Uber basically has spent a lot of money recently kind of in legal battles because if you're not familiar with the term gig economy, essentially what the gig economy is, it's all these sort of apps like Uber or Lyft or TaskRabbit or WAG, the dog walker app that allow you to kind of pick up work when you want it, but it's not necessarily guaranteed because it's all dependent upon demand. And you're not necessarily like an employee of whatever company, you're just kind of like a contractor basically. But that's sort of been up for debate recently because as those apps grow in popularity, a lot of people have come to rely on them as a very steady source of income. Obviously, with the pandemic, that can be hard. Uber has, you know, struggled a little bit because not as many people are doing rideshare right now. Same thing with Lyft and other companies. But it's kind of been something that's circulating the courts. Okay, do Uber drivers and, you know, people in similar roles like that, do they deserve, you know, more than what they're able to get as just an independent contractor? So that's kind of something that's been going on and that Uber has been sort of fighting. But in the UK, there was a unanimous Supreme Court decision where they decided that Uber drivers are indeed workers. So they're not independent contractors, they are workers. Now, the UK is a little bit different than America in the sense that there are contractors, workers, and employees. Most people think employees and workers are the same thing but workers is kind of like an intermediate between employees and contractors. So with this ruling, it means that Uber, to its over 70,000 drivers that it currently has in the UK, it will have to provide minimum wage benefits, five-week paid vacation, holiday time, and pension contributions. But they don't have to provide, well, I was going to say they don't have to provide health care, but the, <laughs> the UK has public health care so that's not an issue for them anyway but you know um, something we don't know anything about <laughs> I know I, they yeah I was gonna say they um they have it a little bit different over there good for them but anyway so yeah that is that is definitely a big win for uber drivers over there because normally the only money you're guaranteed is the 70 percent of the fare that the customer pays when you pick somebody up but now they get the they get a guaranteed minimum wage at least in addition to what the fare that they would be making, which is good because obviously with this right now, it sucks that these people like are not able to earn money and get paid. Like even if they're trying, even if they're out there trying to hustle because there's just not as much demand right now. This is a big deal for Uber because this accounts for 
percent of their Uber bookings. So it's it's a pretty sizable market for them. And London is by far their most important market in the in Europe in general. So that's going to be big for them. It's expected to cost upwards of 500 million for them to be able to kind of compensate all these 70,000 drivers appropriately. A lot of people think that it's entirely possible that Uber is going to sort of slowly decrease their footprint over in the UK, just because it's going to cost them so much. Some other people are just thinking they'll kind of bite the bullet and do it and do it, but it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens. There's kind of a lot up in the air with it. And Uber is fighting similar battles kind of in other places. So in California, California has kind of gone after Uber for the same things. They think drivers ought to be compensated more. They should at the very minimum get minimum wage, things like that. And Uber has kind of been fighting this battle in California. So there was an assembly bill that Uber has been pushing back on. And in 2019, it tightened rules for classifying workers as contractors. But Uber has kind of been like lobbying and putting together, you know, a bunch of legal briefings and things like that. And they're, they've basically worked to convince California voters to support what's called Prop 22. And that exempts Uber and similar gig economy companies from state employment law. So they basically don't have to provide minimum wage or, you know, time off or anything like that. So Currently, it's not an issue that they're dealing with in California like they now are in the UK. But with this passing, it's potentially setting a precedent and opening doors for the same types of things to happen in other places. So I guess it'll be interesting to see sort of what Uber's plan is, because obviously the vaccine rollout is happening, but it's, you know, it's slow in some places. There's no necessarily way to know for sure if demand will keep going up for rideshare because if demand goes up, then we know that they could probably offset some of these costs for employment. But this yeah. could potentially be a very big hit if they continue to struggle with sales um, because how are they going to pay for this if they don't have the revenue to do so? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these these things are expect expected to cost Ubers, you know, it's going to increase their cost of sales by up to 30%. But what's, I guess, important to note is Uber gets a little bit of a loophole here because you're only considered a worker from the time you clock in to the time you clock out. And for Uber, that's when you accept a ride to when you drop someone off. So if yes. there's kind of a lull time where you're waiting for rides to pick back up. If you drop somebody off, you're waiting for another one. And obviously when you're you know not working at all, then that doesn't count. So, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, because I mean, like, if you are logged into the app and saying that you're active for driving, I feel like you should at least get compensated for that because, you know, it's not your fault if demand is not high or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. not. I was just going to say, you're taking time out of your day to look for these rides. Like, you're trying to provide a service for these people. And just because they're not, like, necessarily, like, coming to you for the service that doesn't mean you're not putting in the work right yeah definitely I agree I mean you're sitting there waiting I mean Mm -hmm. it's no different than having like a slow day at an office job you're still compensated for that just because you're waiting for work doesn't necessarily mean you're not on call basically but um what's also interesting Mm -hmm. about this ruling is for whatever reason and I couldn't find much on this it only applies to uber drivers it doesn't apply to uber eats drivers oh 
my guess is because the cargo in this case is people and not takeout. <laughs> but I still thought that was interesting. Like, why are taxi drivers more deserving of this worker status than food delivery drivers? Mm-hmm. You know how the U.S. economy treats people that work in the food industry. Like, it's it's seen as a lesser than job, but they put in so much more work. And it's right. ridiculous that they are seen as lesser than, just like you said. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe the UK kind of has like somewhat of a similar view about the food service industry and, you know, delivering nachos is not quite as important as delivering Steve to the airport or anything like that. So yeah, but that's what's kind of going on with Uber. A lot of business experts are kind of thinking that, yes, it's going to cost Uber more, but a lot of people are sort of expecting Uber to pass off the cost down to the consumer which kind of sucks in my opinion, (laughs) because I mean, people don't necessarily want to pay more for Uber rides, but I mean, I'm not somebody who takes Uber frequently. I do from time to time, but if I do, I mean, if it means that somebody can have minimum wage and like a little bit of time off and just, you know, more general things that are going to make their life better, I'm okay with paying like a couple extra bucks for it, you know? So yeah, of course, there's, there's no reason anybody should suffer. And I think now, especially with the pandemic, people really value flexibility. So I think people will continue to be driving for Uber because it's either a secondary source of income or it's a good source of primary income. So I don't necessarily think people are going to stop using Uber. I don't think people will stop working for Uber, but it'll be interesting to see if Uber's demand for drivers goes down because they just they simply don't want to pay more. And mm-hmm. they're fitting this very well, by the way. Uber is acting like this was their decision. Oh, like, of course. Oh, please join us in, <laughs> you know, I- exploring further and better benefits for our drivers. Like, no, this this was a legal decision. You didn't decide this. You no. were fighting against this. So, I mean, the stock fell 4% because of this news, but it's not necessarily because of the cost that Uber will incur because of it. It's because of the potential precedent that it sets for other companies in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So, also, I love how, like, right as we were starting to talk about, like, food delivery, I had food delivered to me. I was wondering, yeah. Was, I'm was so sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Girls gotta eat, so. Girls gotta eat. Unfortunately, that uh, the Uber Eats guy will not have the same benefits as the drivers of people. It but. was a woman, actually. Okay, well. And she was lovely. I tipped her well. Good, 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 good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's pretty much all I have on Uber. Um, It's not the most exciting of stories, but I think Uber and Lyft and similar brands like that, they're all all something everybody's familiar with. It's something that you've probably, a service that you've used, and it's, it's a good one for sure. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And they're definitely jobs that people like our age are spending their time on because they're, you know, they have flexible hours, like you mentioned before, and it's things that, you know, are easy to come by. So I think it's very relevant for our client base, our audience. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Okay. So for my second story here, so Mark Zuckerberg has been busy. So I don't know how familiar you guys are with like VR and AR, so virtual reality and augmented reality. I was not super familiar with it because a lot of it applies to video games. 
Yes. No, nothing wrong with video games. I'm just not a huge <laughs> gamer. So it's nothing that I've like come across a ton in my time, but Facebook is really getting after it. They are working on developing, they called it a mind reading wrist device. I don't so, like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get into it. It's not really mind reading. That's not, okay. that's a little bit of a misnomer in my opinion. Okay. Um, <laughs> But it, it's basically, it's a wrist device and it comes with an augmented reality keyboard. So it would allow kind of users to replace their mouse and their keyboard with kind of future hardware products. You can kind of like type on whatever surface is in front of you. And the wrist device will kind of register where your fingers are going and what those letters like would be like your keystrokes. So okay, that's cool. It is cool. Yeah. I mean, it would obviously save a lot of space because you don't have a keyboard. It's probably a little bit quieter than like keys clacking all the time. That's something I could get behind in the office here and people just like pound away all the time. And that's me. <laughs> I'm an aggressive typer. <laughs> but Facebook has an entire division called Facebook's Reality Labs, and they've been working on these prototypes. It's over 10,000 Facebook employees have been solely dedicated to this. So this is really something that they're kind of spending a lot of time and resources on. So getting a little bit more into the wrist device, it's capable of reading brain signals that are sent from your brain to your hands. So in theory, it could read the signals that you're doing with your hands and fingers to kind of get a sense of what the user with the wristband wants to do. And it'll replicate that action in a virtual or AR environment. So if you're like going like this, like swinging and punching, it'll register, okay, you're trying to knock something out and your character in the video game. Oh, see, I, I take you. this movement as, oh, shucks. I'm, I'm not a boxer. I don't really know what I'm doing <laughs> here, but yeah, which, so that's pretty cool. Um, and the reason it's a wrist device is because twice as many brain neurons control wrist and hand movement than any other part of the body. So it's kind okay, of like the best science. way to get things in sync there. So, and Facebook virtual labs has been, they demonstrated like how, when wearing the device, the user could like pinch something in real life and the character in the augmented reality would kind of do the same thing. So it's like mm -hmm. doing this. And then if you have a headset on where you're seeing the world in front of you, your character would replicate what you're doing with your fingers here. So wow. It's pretty cool. And like I said, the wristband would also allow you to kind of type on any surface and it'll monitor and register what your keystrokes are and kind of show up accordingly. We've seen that a little bit on the Apple Watch, Alyssa. I don't know if you've used this feature, but you know how you can sort of draw letters to text people? I have used that feature and my friends use that feature a lot when they decide to grab my wrist and text other people for yeah. me. <laughs> So it's similar to that because it's kind of registering what your fingers are doing, but it's different because with this, there's no screen that you're typing on. It could be okay. any other surface. So there's basically no input mechanism because there's no controller, there's no screen, there's no keyboard. It's just the wristband kind of monitoring it for you. So Facebook has kind of been working on a lot of these projects. I don't know if anybody has seen like the Facebook Oculus which is kind of like a, a goggle headpiece thing that people use for video games. Um, they're working on developing like further technology and they're gonna release smart glasses in 2021, like later this year. 
So <laughs> there'll be Ray-Ban glasses that are kind of released in a partnership with Luxottica, who's the, the owner of Ray-Bans. Um, and yeah, so it'll kind of be just a more, more stylish way to kind of have that VR AR experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think it'll be pretty cool for those who are pretty interested in it. So a lot of tech companies are like very interested in this sort of technology, Silicon Valley and like V the venture capital firms out there, they're all over it. This is really kind of like the next up and coming thing. And it doesn't just have to apply to video games. That's just where we're seeing most of it right now. But kind of the two heavy hitters in this space right now are Facebook and Sony. So they're kind of in a race with each other. But what Sony has been able to do that Facebook hasn't is Sony already has really a pretty big video game base because they own the, is it Xbox or PlayStation? I honestly get them mixed up. It's the PlayStation. Gotcha. (laughs) PS. Yes, the PS. So, and obviously the PS5 came out recently. Everybody's losing their minds over that. But because Sony already has a pretty big video game base and a lot of people already own PlayStations, they're kind of expected to be a little bit stronger in the AR and VR markets because all of their VR and AR stuff would be compatible with their PlayStations. So if you already have one, there's no reason to buy that. You would just have to buy the VR technology itself. You'd hook up with your console and then you'd be good to go. But Facebook, just with it historically being a social media company, they don't really have a lot of hardware now, but mm-hmm. they did acquire Oculus back in 2014 to kind of move into the augmented reality. The current Oculus goggles, they're sold for about 300 bucks and it is estimated that two to three million people own this. So they definitely have a market, but it's not huge yet. Wow. Yeah. It's a little bit. I didn't even know it was that many people. I know. I'm surprised. I've never personally met anybody with an Oculus, but I wonder if it's just because like none of our friends are that into video games. I know a few people that have them, but they're not saying that video games are necessarily gendered, but the two people that I know are are males. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It tends to be a little bit more common. I think your parents, when you're a girl, they don't necessarily throw you in front of a TV with video games. Yeah. Put you in other activities, but, um, It'll be interesting to kind of see how Facebook is able to compete with Sony going forward with just kind of a different user base. And they're really starting from scratch. So it's impressive that they've kind of been able to become a front runner with the VR compared to Sony, who's like already sort of a hardware company compared to a social media one. But it'll be interesting to see kind of how this impacts Facebook's other business ventures. Because we know that, you know, they have a very aggressive tendency. They'll acquire other companies that they think are threatening to them, or they'll try to copy their features. A lot of people in Congress, they're very distrusting of like big tech companies in general. So like Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, they had a hearing back in late 2020 where all the big major tech companies had to come and talk to Congress about you know, their competitive advantage and like how they've been able to do what they've done and why they necessarily don't have a monopoly, Um, which in a lot of cases was kind of a hard argument to make because a lot of these companies really do have a monopoly in some ways. So people have been speculating for a little while if big tech is going to get broken up into smaller companies just because these companies are so big and so powerful and they have so much data on all of us. People are a little distrusting of them. So if Facebook gets into VR and AR and becomes really commercially successful with it, I don't know, it could be something that uh, lawmakers 
kind of force them into selling off and becoming its own independent company if it's if they're really worried about competitive advantage here because those are with sony being a japanese company facebook would really have kind of the edge in the united states here mm-hmm. so yeah that's what i got for us today uber and facebook to two tech companies that um they've got some problems but they've got some projects too yay that's awesome that's like really exciting honestly for the future just to see like what we are capable of you yeah, know I, I hate to be that like old whippersnapper person that's like wow technology is amazing but yeah, really- but i agree i mean i'm not somebody who like is actively thinking about technology and like oh what could this be used for in like a different context or something like mm-hmm. that like i just i answer my text messages and i scroll through social media and you know, I have a couple of, I have like a smart TV, but I'm not, I'm definitely not a tech savant. So it's cool to hear about the people smarter than you out there. That's <laughs> really cool projects for everybody. Just want to make it clear that no one is smarter than Annabelle. Oh, but I don't know about that. That's uh, it's, it's, it's fact. Just letting you know. Well, thanks, babe. <laughs> You're welcome, babe. Okay. So now it's time for Alyssa to get on her soapbox. <laughs> and go off a little bit on last week's Grammys. Annabelle, did you watch the show? You know I did not. I'm just asking, you know, give you the benefit of the doubt for the viewers, but okay, thank you. Um, I, For so, the record, I had no, I wasn't one of those people who wanted to boycott the show. I just, in general, I, I watched the Oscars because that one's fun with the red carpet and everything, all the pretty mm-hmm. dresses. But yeah. I'm not... Um, I don't know. I I find most award shows to be a little bit dry to watch, but I do always follow the results. So I like to know what happens, but I don't need to see it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So basically, um, something that I learned pretty much right after we got off of our call last week Mm -hmm. was which awards were going to be featured in the Grammys pre-show versus the actual ceremony. Because as we discussed before, there are so many categories that the Grammys give out awards for, and it's impossible to put it all in like a three hour show. So they split it up normally between the pre-show and the main ceremony. Mm -hmm. And I was a little upset because once I got off the call, I found out that BTS's category was going to be featured in the pre-show. And yeah, I was, a, I was a little perturbed, but it also meant that I wouldn't have to stay up super late in order to see if they won or not. That's good. Well, and I promise I'm not going to talk about BTS solely in this segment. I have other artists to talk about, but they lost. Oh, no. Oh. And <laughs> they worked so hard, too. Oh, we'll get into it. Don't you worry. Other than BTS, I noticed really while watching the pre-show that the majority of the categories were heavily saturated with artists of color as well as like the diverse categories like roots latin gospel like a whole bunch of categories that are normally full Mm -hmm. of artists of color Mm -hmm. and i just kind of thought to myself i was like okay all right you know okay grammys i'm watching you so as for the main ceremony the four major categories were won by women which is fantastic. That's yeah, awesome. we love that. Um, uh, my Beyonce s- did well, I saw. Beyonce is now the most decorated woman in Grammy's history. She has 28 wins under her belt. She wow. is only behind conductor Jorg Solti 
he has 31 wins. So she could easily like knock him out of place within the next few years. That's attainable. Yeah, of course. Blue Ivy is now a Grammy winner, which she is one of the youngest in the history of the Recording Academy as well. My other favorite artist in the game, Megan Thee Stallion, won three out of her four categories. Not bad. Which, which was awesome. You know, we, hot girls are out here celebrating. Now I'm going to get into a little bit of the, the, the more upset areas for me. Okay. Phoebe Bridgers was snubbed. She was nominated for, I believe, six and that could definitely just be a number that I pulled off the top of my head but she was nominated for multiple awards and she did not win any Chloe and Hallie were also snubbed they were nominated for three awards and they did not win any and it just kind of got me really in a mood thinking about the Grammys because it seemed you know I watched all the coverage I watched how they were promoting the show on social media as well. And it, to me, felt as though the Grammys was really trying to profit off of these artists of color that they refused to acknowledge with awards, I should say. And right after BTS's performance, I think it was Trevor Noah, the host of the show, literally turns to the camera and said, wow, that performance should have won a Grammy award itself. And it's like, it was a nominated for one and y'all didn't give it to them. And it was just, you know, I wanted to celebrate because obviously like women as well as just black women in general were highly held up on a pedestal during the ceremony. So I should be happy, but at the same time with the situation with the pre-show categories, as well as, you know, my favorite group being snubbed, it just kind of put me in a bad mood mm-hmm. and it was really upsetting because BTS actually posted the video of them reacting to their loss a day later, you know, of them watching the, the category being read out loud. And my favorite member, who is also the leader of the group, literally turns to one of the other members and says, I told you. Oh, which I didn't even expect to win. Or he didn't. I'm, Yeah, exactly. And that to me is like the the amount of times I told you has run over and over in my head. It like haunts me Mm -hmm. because these are very successful artists, as we have discussed previously, and they don't even expect to win. Yeah, they're not underdogs in terms of their commercial success. They just no, not at all. So it just kind of like put me on edge and like after obviously they lost, they like were posting, trying to make the fans feel better, even though it's, that's the kind of people they are. Like they realize that they lost, but they're like, oh, the fans are going to be upset. Let's make the fans feel better. And they were like, we're going to work harder next year. And it's like, you shouldn't have to work harder because you, as well as other artists of color are already working twice as hard as some of these white performers. And you're still not getting half the recognition. That just kind of like made me really sad, but I will say as successful as part of the ceremony was, it was also the least viewed Grammy awards in recent history, I believe. I don't know if it was the entire history of the show, but it it was abysmal in ratings as well, just like the Golden Globes. So do you see this kind of being a continued trend for award shows, poor ratings? Do you think it's pandemic related or do you think it just has to do with like the current view of the entertainment industry overall? It's been on a downhill slope for a few years now. Like every year, 
we hear like, oh, this was the worst Grammys, worst Oscars yet. So I am not at all surprised by the ratings tank. Definitely the pandemic did not help, but it just, I don't know if that means that the pandemic is going to completely wipe out these award shows or what exactly is going to take place. But I do feel that all of these committees could benefit from having younger people as well as a more diverse group of people in the boardrooms making these decisions because obviously younger people understand like social media as well as engagement with the audiences and the fans. And I think they could really help out the problem that all of these award shows are facing right now. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just as kind of a a props to our friends who did not win BTS and, you know, any other artists like Chloe and and Hallie, who you said got snubbed, (laughs) there's as disappointing as it is, we know at the end of the day that these artists are not putting their content out in an attempt to win an award. Like they Absolutely not. Out there to express themselves, to really kind of show people what, what creative talents they have. They want their product to resonate with people. They want people to feel something. You know, they're not doing it because they want an award to put on their bookshelf. And while they definitely deserve it, especially with groups like BTS who are at least getting the commercial success that they deserve. I think that will go a lot farther at the end of the day than winning a Grammy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I hope that I don't necessarily see the Grammys or the Oscars or the Golden Globes or anything like that going away, even though the ratings have been abysmal, but I do think there will potentially be less of a focus on it going forward and more about you know, maybe some other accomplishments and more about your overall body of work rather than what you did in like one year. Because that's the other thing is it really depends on who you're up against and what they've put out. And maybe some years you would have won in a landslide and other years you didn't just based on who you're up against. I mean, you never know. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought this up out of all people, because in the days following the Grammys, I actually saw this speech by Annabelle's favorite artist, Drake, from the 2019 Grammy Award ceremony, and he put it into the best words possible. And obviously I'm not gonna quote the entire speech right now, but basically the gist of it was, you know, I want all artists that are sitting in the audience right now or watching at home to realize that you do not need this. And obviously he's holding the Grammy because he had just won, but he's like, this, this does not equal success. We are in an opinion based game. Like it's not a sports kind of situation where subjective it's not objective yeah absolutely and so he he said you know like if you have working class people like doctors journalists bankers such as yourself like they are coming out to your shows and spending their hard-earned money to see you perform you do not need this and I thought that was really great yeah no that's a good way to summarize it for sure I'm uh glad my boy Audrey or Aubrey could pull that off (laughs) I, I was Sorry. gonna say Drake and then I started to say Audrey or Aubrey and I, I can't talk. No, it's all good. You're fine. You're fine. I just, it, it really, it, it got me thinking. Okay. So now we're going to get into a more positive headspace and we're going to talk about the Academy Award nominations. Okay. So first of all, uh, the Academy Awards have announced that for the first time ever, part of the show is actually going to be featured at LA's Historic Union Station. Mm-hmm. And the other part is going to be at the Dolby Theater, which is where the show has taken place for a number of years. 
And they have also told us that the show is going to be all in person. Really? Okay. Yes. And the show is April 25th, by the way, guys, if you want to watch. Um, so now we're going to get into the, the, the nitty gritty. David Fincher's Mank is the most nominated film at this year's ceremony with a total of 10 to 10, 10, 10 nominations. Wow. Double digits. That's impressive. Yes. Do you know about Mank? I've heard about it, but I've not seen it myself. Okay, so it's on Netflix and it's like hella long and it's in black and white. It's like one of those like Oscar bait films, but it's about like Mankiewicz who helped Orson Welles create Citizen Kane. And it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It's like pretty good. But, you know, I people have been back and forth about their opinions about Mank. So let's see if they win anything. Um, one of the biggest takeaways that people um, had during the nominations announcement was Lakeith Stanfield, who stars in Judas and the Black Messiah as, alongside Daniel Kaluuya, was nominated as a Best Supporting Actor alongside Kaluuya. And when I read that, I was like, well, if he's a supporting actor and he's a supporting actor, who is the lead? That's really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you would think, if anything, they would both be in the main category, not both in the supporting category. I wonder if that was mm-hmm. a tie, though. <laughs> I, I have no idea what the Academy was thinking with that one, because I've, I've seen the movie, and it is primarily from Lakeith Stanfield's character's point of view. Like, I can understand Daniel Kaluuya being in the supporting category, but I was like, why, why is Lakeith in the supporting category? I don't know. There was no Best Picture nomination for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or... One Night in Miami, which was a little upsetting because I enjoyed both of those films particularly. So to Five Bloods, which was Spike Lee's film from this year. It has, I'm pretty sure Chadwick Boseman's in it as well as primarily a black male cast. Mm -hmm. It was nowhere to be seen except in the best original score category. And a lot of people are really upset about that because it's a really good film. Mm -hmm. I mean- Obviously, we know that Chadwick Boseman is, you know, sadly no longer with us, um, but that's no reason not to posthumously give him a little bit of recognition. He was nominated in Best Actor category, but that was for Ma Rainey, just not Five Bloods. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Two, two women are in the Best Director category for the first time in the history of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, guys. This is a big deal. Also, it's the first time a woman of color is nominated for a Best Director in the Academy Awards. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, which, Annabelle, I have to ask, have you seen the last two seasons of The Crown? I have not. Okay, so you probably won't get this, but I knew the name Emerald Fennell and I was familiar with her, but for some reason it took me until this week to realize that Emerald Fennell plays Camilla in The Crown. Oh, so she she's kind of got the one-two punch here. She can act and direct. Good for her. And she's very good as Camilla. Like, she's very convincing. Like, I want to shake my fist and hate her, but she's... Obviously, she's not actually Camilla. <laughs> so. I'm sure. Yeah, so that was really cool that I just now realized because I'm stupid. Ramin Barani, who is nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for his film The White Tiger, is the son of Iranian immigrants. 
And his father is originally from the Shiraz area of Iran. And he exposed him to poetic works of Hafez, who was a historical Persian poet and encouraged him to pursue a career in the arts, which I think is so beautiful because I feel that a lot of times, you know, there's a stereotype around Asian parents that they're like, oh no, we want, we don't want our children anywhere near the arts. So I thought that story was so beautiful for his father to not only like be okay with it, but encourage it because he saw something within his child and he knew that he could accomplish so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Derek Zhang Kwakjong, who is nominated for Best International Feature Film for his film, Better Days, was born to actor Eric Zhang in Hong Kong. And he, he himself is an actor and a director. And he has been in so many films, like I couldn't even count. Like I was on his Wikipedia page, like one, two, three, four, five, like I lost count. This man is like been like grinding out so much good work and better days has grossed the equivalent of 230 million us dollars wow that's incredible good for them absolutely so we're really excited for them her was born gabriella sarmiento wilson to a filipino mother and african-american father in vallejo california She is nominated for Best Original Song for Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a fantastic song. I also cried while listening to it for the first time. She is a four-time Grammy winner, including this year's Song of the Year Award for I Can't Breathe and Best R&B Song for Better Than I Imagine. So I'm a really big fan of her. I remember seeing her a few years ago on the Grammys when she first won. I think her first award was best R&B song or album, which fun fact, BTS gave to her, like presented it to her. But after she won the award, she performed her song Hard Place, which is my personal favorite song. And Hard Place is just has a very special moment in my life. So I'm really rooting for her. Breathe <laughs> um, a tribute to George Floyd. I don't know if it's specifically for George Floyd, but it really does have ties to the Black Lives Matter movement. So, okay. Opera is a South Korean American short film by Eric Oh, which is nominated for Best Animated Short Film. Over the Moon is an American Chinese film with an all Asian voice cast and character base. Nice. And it is nominated for Best Animated Feature. The Present is a Palestinian short film directed by Farah Nabulsi, who is nominated for Best Live Action Short Film. White Eye is an Israeli short film by Tamer Shishan and Shira Hoshnan, nominated for Best Live Action Short Film as well. And I want to apologize ahead of time if I left out anyone in the nominations area, but these were all of the individuals as well as pieces of work that have ties to the Asian and Asian American communities that I could find. And now I want to end my segment by highlighting some resources that could definitely use your help following this past week's events. Um, Asians Americans Advancing Justice, Hate is a Virus, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, Send Chinatown Love, the Asian Mental Health Collective, Asian American Journalists Association, 
the Korean American Coalition Metro Atlanta, Raksha, which is also based in Atlanta, and hashtag they can't burn us all. And one last thing before I go, I have some businesses that I would like to shout out that are all small businesses that are run by Asian and Asian Americans. Pink Moon Beauty, which has a Asian woman as their CEO and founder. Their stuff is gorgeous and very aesthetically pleasing if you'd like to go check them out. Um, some Foods, which is Vietnamese owned and operated by two sisters. Tatcha, which is a Japanese beauty company that has some of the best primers that you will ever find in the game. I know like some of you may not be makeup people, but Tatcha is it when it comes to primers. Peach and Lily, which is an, also a Korean beauty organization. I'm sorry if a lot of these are beauty based. That's just like what I know personally, but I tried to like differentiate as much as possible. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Abacada or Abacada, which is a Filipino Chicago based leisure wear slash apparel group that I actually found out from my friends at the Filipino Student Association of the University of Georgia. So shout out FSA. Um, <laughs> there is also this wonderful Korean artist that I follow on Instagram. Their name is Bae Joon. And I had a lovely exchange with them over Instagram this past week. And I just really wanted to highlight them. They are a photographer as well as a collage artist. And you can find them on Instagram. I'll leave links to all these people below. Human Made, which is a Japanese company that is inspired by both American and Japanese street style. They have some really cool stuff. And last but not least, there is a jewelry company in Korea called Frika. Frika? F-R-I-C-A. And I think a lot of their stuff is really cool and it's pretty affordable for the amount of work that's put into it. So those are just a few of resources as well as businesses that you can look into in this upcoming week. And I really encourage you to do so because our Asian and Asian American brothers and sisters really do need your help because this past year has been very difficult for them because of hateful rhetoric that has been spread across the world. Mm -hmm. But the resurgence in violence against this group of individuals is very upsetting and it doesn't deserve any type of platform to thrive on. No, absolutely not. And we'll just preface by saying that the the shootings that happened in Atlanta, you know, I'm a lifelong Atlantan native and Alyssa is originally from the state of Georgia. So these, these tragedies hit really close to home for us. And it's just deeply troubling to see things like this happen against completely innocent and unsuspecting people for, and whether or not it's legally ruled a hate crime is kind of irrelevant in my opinion. I mean, we know, we know that this was uh, motivated by some, some pretty sinister reasons. So we just, we want to give a shout out to the AAPI community and say that we stand with you. And, you know, we're, we're trying to use the platform that we have to advocate for you guys and, you know, hopefully make some changes for the better. We're, we're with you and we're all in this together. And we love you. Yeah. Absolutely. We love you so much. So we will be back next week with some more business and some more entertainment stories. I will hopefully have a little bit more to report on. I feel like my segment was a little bit <laughs> today compared to Alyssa. I, is your back sore? Because you carried this episode for us. 
no no i didn't i just i just yelled mostly about like award shows so i don't know what you're talking about but we will be back we'll have more to talk about and hopefully um no more no more bad news on the on the violence front for any community hopefully but um, all love all love going forward we love you guys thanks for listening and we'll be back next week yay